Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. And now, AJ and Chris Shepard. Our next guest is the co-founder and managing partner of Valkyrie Investment Group. He is accountable for the development and management of the Valkyrie team and implementing company systems to improve business efficiency. Here to discuss the process of managing their out-of-state investment portfolio, the transition from single-family homes to large multifamily deals, and effective tools that help their business grow. Let's welcome Chris Lavrec. All right. Today, we've got Christopher Leverick with us. He is co-founder and managing partner of the Valkyrie Investment Group. Christopher, great to have you on the show. Might be a little confusing here with my brother, Chris, and Christopher, but we'll try (laughs) to distinguish those throughout. But do you want to just kind of tell us a little bit more about yourself and maybe how you got started in the real estate industry? Sure. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, It's good to be here. Yeah. So for me, I got into real estate about four years ago now. I built the company Valkyrie Investment Group with family, something they say never to do. And it's been a great journey for the last four years. But kind of going back in history, I moved to Europe after school, high school really, and did some studies in France. I joined the Air Force after that. I was a firefighter when I got out. I went back to school in Phoenix, Arizona at ASU, and I finished one of my degrees, which I got into IT and did about a 12-year stint in the computer information systems world, corporate IT, and I quit, let's see, March of 2022. So started the real estate business while I was in IT, and it kind of drove me to leave, and it's been a journey ever since in the real estate world. For our portfolio, we started in small multifamily, doing a lot of the burr, trying to keep our capital you know, we would buy things, renovate them and refinance out a lot of our money. And then we got into larger deals with partners. We got into some bigger apartment deals, an 84 unit, and then a 120 and then a 384 unit. And so it started to scale like that. And lately we've been messing with uh, vacation rentals. So we're on our fifth one and they're a lot of fun. There's a lot of interest. And so we partner with a lot of people to do these deals. And it's been a growth curve and a learning curve along the way. And it's been a lot of fun. So Christopher, an ASU grad. I'm an Arizona grad, arch enemy. We'll have to see if we can get along during the podcast. But that's (laughs) a pretty incredible scaling story of just small multifamily and during COVID. And you jumped to 384 unit apartment complex. And when did you guys close on that? That was 2021, 2021, early 2021. So right in the midst. Yeah. Wow. So that is crazy. I'd love to just kind of like dive in a little deeper. Like, so you started investing in real estate like in 2018 or 19 or 2018. Yeah. 2018. And then three years later, you guys had a 384 unit apartment complex in Phoenix. In Daytona, Florida, actually. Oh, Daytona, Florida. Okay. Yeah. How did you transition from small multifamily to doing large, like 384 units, that's about as big as they get. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't do it alone, right? And you do it in increments. I know there's a lot of people that say, oh, well, go big as soon as you start. And there's a lot of things that can break when you do that, <laughs> you know, mainly your stress levels too. But we started every deal we did, we did with a partner. So even the first, we did a quad for our first deal, two duplexes side by side in North Carolina, Durham, North Carolina. And that deal was a 70% private lender. So I went and found a person I knew that had some capital and they funded 70% of that deal. So we bought it all cash. Every deal we did, we did with partners. And so as we got better and bigger and our credibility grew, the partners grew as well. And so a 384 unit might've had, I think we had five or six groups working that deal everyone fulfilling some kind of role in the deal. And so you're not going to be doing these alone. And if that's a big part of our companies, I don't think we've ever done a deal without some kind of um, partner, whether it's capital or an asset manager, there's always someone involved with our team and that's helped us scale immensely. So we own some of the deals hundred percent. We own some of the deals, 50%. Some of the deals we own as little as 5%. Some, the ones that we own less are actually easier because typically they're bigger and there's other people doing work that we don't have to do. So we know our role, we're very clear. And the deals are probably the hardest are the ones that you have to do all the pieces because you have to make sure your company can do all those pieces. <laughs> and that's tricky. So partnerships is how we scaled if I was going to give an answer. So when you're putting together a partnership, can you kind of break down your thought process on how it all works together? Like you've got your money, you've got your operator, you've got lending as well, and kind of all the different pieces that come into it. I think also describe kind of like what you bring to the partnership too. Like what is your specialty in that? And then what else are you finding to, because you don't partner with just anyone, you partner with someone that complements you and your skills, right? Well, hundred percent. Yeah. And we have partnered with people and we have messed up. So you kind of learn that along the way. It's good to do your due diligence up front and understand what role you're playing as well as what role they're playing. So you can get that on paper and a contract, or at least you can have it clearly defined in the beginning because you don't want to go in blind. But for us, typically we started doing everything. So the duplexes besides capital, we would do everything. We do the acquisitions, the financing. I was guarantor on a number of loans. I still am. We're not federally backed. So they would come after my assets, right? That's how we started. And we would do all the renovations. We do all the management. Maybe we'd outsource some of the property management at the end. But it, it was capital we were always finding in the beginning. We had a 13 unit, a 16 unit apartment complex like that, where we did everything. And they were very stressful because things happen, especially the eviction moratorium was crazy for people who went through it and were in C-class or maybe even B-class, but we had one tenant not pay us for 13 months. Those are smaller deals, suffer from smaller issues like that. So if you're doing everything, you're juggling a lot and you're trying to put out all the fires all the time. So when we got into the bigger deals, we focused on raising capital, but we kept our investor network close to home. So we always did all the distributions, all the updates. We did not outsource any of that. And we would do all the annual webinars with our network. So we got into raising capital on the bigger deals simply because it allowed us to grow our company and not have to hire 20 people doing the accounting and the distributions for a larger property. We could manage our team and what we were doing a lot clearer. And then when we got into the vacation rental side of it, we kept the raising capital portion for the apartment complexes because it was a very streamlined role at this point. And we got into the vacation rentals where we got back into doing the acquisitions, the financing, 
and really just finding capital. We still do the management, we do the renovations. And so we kind of been dancing in between the two worlds. I'd say in any deal, right, there's acquisitions, the lending, the underwriting, the asset management, property management, and capital. And so depending what role you play, we like to verify underwriting, verify the deal, know the partner, work with the partner, see their deals, make sure they've exited a few, make sure they have some credibility. We don't work with new people in apartments simply because it's our bread and butter. We like to mess up on the vacation rentals, but we want to be working with big billion dollar funds, million dollar funds, million dollar companies that have done big apartments that have access to great lending options. And we can just ride on the coattails and bring in capital. And we know our investors aren't going to get messed up by new partners. And trust me, we get a lot of requests to do 50 units, 75 units. We don't do them because they're just too complicated. We've been down that road. We're looking for larger scale on that kind of platform. The vacation rentals, we partner with a lot of people. We have the experience and we partner with capital on those. So yeah, it's kind of fluctuates, but it's about knowing where you want to also take your business. I think a lot of people jump into real estate and they want to do all the angles because they don't want to look stupid. They want to look smart in every facet of real estate. And the thing is like, it's going to take you years to get experienced in every facet of real estate. So niche down on one you want to get good at, maybe understand all the other roles, but then partner with people that complement your specific strength and let them have specific strengths in other areas. Interesting. So I guess when you're underwriting a partner, can you kind of walk us through, I guess, the details and the level of detail that you're getting into when you look at someone's company or, or if it's just a specific person? Yeah, typically we don't, like if someone throws a deal at us and we've never heard of them, we're most likely going to say no right away. And we like to have that kind of like, relationship courting before we even discuss business for a while. So maybe we meet them in a mastermind, maybe we meet them at a conference and we just keep up the communication. We're sharing deals or watching each other on social media, reaching out every now and then maybe we're helping each other in some DM communication on a group platform or something like that. And when we see like the values are aligning of that, maybe they have a spiritual side to them. Maybe they have a family side that they post a lot of pictures about family. Maybe they post about charity and giving. And we start to see those kind of similar things that are important to us more than money or more than business. That's where we are. We're a family business. We align behind that brand. And when we see that kind of commonality coming out, then we look at their deal experience and they maybe less know that they have a big deal coming in the pipeline. They're going to need some help closing it. Then we turn the business, the numbers, we're underwriting, we're checking their underwriting. We're looking if the deal makes sense for what we do, being conservative as far as Okay, what are you entering in at price and what are you expecting to exit and what are your exit interest rates? And then what are the cash flow you're going to hit in the year one? Is that aligned with our network? We get people reach out and they go, hey, you want to do this development deal? And I go, no, straight up, because our network is not prepped for zero cash flow for four years or three years or whatever, two years in a big apartment deal. You might not see cash flow for four years on an apartment being built. So our network isn't primed for that. So it would take a lot of marketing shift the change for that type of deal. So we're looking for deal alignment. We're looking for value alignment. And then we're going to have those calls with them. Here's what's important to us. We're going to need to be compensated in this regard. We're going to need this type of communication from you. So if we request an update on what the property is doing, it can't take 30 days to get that update because we have timelines to deliver our updates to our networks. So it's got to be a communication area where you're on board and you can understand really quickly if a group is not good with communication. And so the more you communicate before you're ever even in the deal, 
you'll see how quickly they respond to you, how serious they are about the partnership. And from there, you can jump into a deal together. You can ham- make some clear, here's what I need, here's what I'll give. And everybody knows what role you're bringing. I think it's so important. People just miss that. There's a lot of handshake partnerships and they're not even clear on what they're looking to get from each other. And that's where people get burned. <laughs> that's kind of our process. So you mentioned handshake deals and you mentioned doing contracts earlier. Is all the documentation kind of like within the deal LLC structure or do you guys have like some other written documentation that like the contract of like what, who's going to hold up what end? Yeah, there's usually a contract outside. So the LLC will usually have ownership and partnership and it will state for SEC regulations on what the roles are going to be. But there will be a contract outside of that that's kind of like a JV. We do that in our vacation rentals as well. It's stipulating a little more detail of what's expected and maybe even talking about ownership in there as well. But it's saying, here's what's expected. Here's what's going to be compensated. And this is what we're looking for on both sides or something like that. Very simple, but at least you have something on paper in like a one or two document. Doesn't need to be a giant 30 page document or something. It's good to have something like that. I think it gives credibility to both sides and both sides feel a little better with the arrangement. Yeah, just on, I mean, having something in writing that states like, what are the expectations? Who's going to be responsible for what? There's responsibilities that come up that is on neither partner's task. Like, how is that going to be handled too? I'm sure as in the event of yep. something unknown happening. So yeah, super cool. We have not really partnered in that way with people. Most of our partnerships are kind of like through contractors and you know, having the boots on the ground type people, but we're certainly exploring those opportunities and listening to how you've done it is pretty cool. I mean, with you in Phoenix, Ashton's here in Portland, right? Right. Yep. Yeah. But your guys' first deal was in North Carolina. Yeah. (laughs) So starting off with out-of-state investing and finding the deal, performing the asset management, doing the value add, working with property managers or like, how did you guys get started with that mindset? I mean, how, why didn't you just invest in Phoenix or in Portland? Good question. I think it came down to having that vision a little deeper out. So at the time I was working an IT job, my brother actually was in the military. He retired after 21 years and now he does some contract. But at the time he was working off of Fort Bragg in North Carolina And it was three hours south of where we actually invested anyway. But North Carolina, it was a great state from what I was researching. Raleigh and Charlotte are just leaders in the multifamily space and in the real estate space. A lot of population growth, employment is good there. A lot of big companies there. But you know, Phoenix is too. So it's a question I get often. Why didn't we go into Phoenix? And at the time I was looking at prices here and I just couldn't make it work. And there was also something I was trying to do where... I knew myself and I knew I would go visit the property Mm. if there was a problem. And I knew I would go like try and fix it. And all these books and podcasts I was reading were about if you take away that option, you actually become a better investor because you're forcing yourself to create a system, you're creating a process, and more importantly, you're depending on partners. And so you get really good at evaluating partnerships. And here's the thing, most of us start in real estate because we want to be passive. We want to have some kind of passive income. We want a financial freedom. We want more time. So that was always at my vision was having more time, having more passive income. It didn't make sense for me to create myself another job. I was going to force myself to outsource 
all these pieces of the investment. And when you do that in another state, you're forced to. So there's really no option. You just can't fly out there every weekend. So that was a big piece of it. We decided we wanted to ensure that we were building a business, we were building systems around it, and we were not going to simply create another job that we were physically going to have to go do things for. And that was where it started. And then it helped that the Raleigh-Durham market was just very attractive. For example, we bought two duplexes side by side. They were C-class assets, you know, 1940s, but so they're kind of old. But it was $209,000 for two duplexes. Phoenix, you know, one duplex was going about 170 at the time. It's a lot better now, but or I mean, a lot more expensive now. So either way, it would have been good. However, for guys that didn't have much cash in the beginning, we put in 60 grand, I think, total for four units of real estate. And when you start building that fast and you're saying, oh, I got four units now, okay, more credibility, more credibility. So it's another piece of, we can get more for our buck in another state was a part of it versus, okay, well, I just got a single house in Phoenix because the price was so much. 60K was one down payment on a single family. You know, So that was another piece that you go in North Carolina. And now here's a word from our sponsor. Get things done while you're on the move. Learn more about working with a virtual assistant through offsite professionals. It's a great way to get all the things done that you need to get done. Have freedom in your time and streamline your life by automating your business. Stop spending time on the tasks that you can delegate and start spending more time on your superpower. Call us today at 503-446-3177 or visit our website at offsiteprofessionals.com. You mentioned systems and essentially forcing yourself to invest out of state and that not force it, but forcing yourself to not be able to go visit the property. And that is an area where I can definitely improve. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you learned going through that process. I mean, there's some pain, right? You read all the books, you listen to all the podcasts on how you're supposed to do it. And then you kind of settle into some comfort that, well, nah, that property manager's got it. I don't need to call him this week. I'm pretty sure he knows what he's doing. And so you've suffered through some pain where the property manager is maybe not doing what you think he's doing. We interviewed like three property managers before we did our first duplex. And, and we still do that. The rule of three, interview three in almost every category, contractors, handymen, because you just don't check the box, the first box, you make sure you're getting the right partner. But even doing that, you hit some bumps along the way where you just assume people have your best interests at heart when really they're just businesses and other people operating as efficiently as they can. So you do have to do some level of management, manage the manager. So you'll run into issues. And the best way I've found to do it though, is digital. We have such great tools right now where people can just record video. You can pay someone to be your boots on the ground. Just, Hey, 50 bucks. Can you go check the property, you know, every month or whatever? Is that really going to break your bank to spend a grand to have a boots on the ground for a year? No, it's not going to break the bank. You just have to write that in as an expense. And if you're already buying the property $5,000 cheaper than you would buy locally, then it's really not that expense. You're actually saving four grand, right? So it's getting those bumps though. We for sure had some issues with contractors and you can't just go check their work. You got to pay someone to go check their work for you. And then, you know, sometimes contractors video this side of the house, that's all done, but they don't show you this side of the house, which is not messed up and said, we're on track. So there's a lot of that goes on. You just have to have a couple checks and balance. We built a system in monday.com, which is like a project management tool going from acquisition 
kind of like a checklist, but it's got dates and it's got times and it's got sections now. It must be like 200 items long and it just keeps growing. Every time we stumble, we add a task. And then we, with that checklist then gets cloned to a new deal that we do. And when we hit that step in the process where it's like, hey, did you check with the bank if they ordered the appraisal? Did you assume the bank was going to order appraisal? Whatever. You add the item that you stumble upon, pretty soon you have something that keeps you on track, even if you, so you don't do that same issue again, have that same problem again. So that's kind of how we fixed it along the way. You know, we outsource now to different areas. We have people working in our company who are checking areas. So you're not always thinking of everything, but if you hit an issue, make sure you create a system for the next time so that either you remember it or it's automated or someone else is going to handle it. So you use monday.com, which is kind of like Process Street, right? Or HubSpot? Yeah, similar. I mean, or it's, uh, like Trello. Like Trello, yeah, or Asana. Those are more like, so you can do due dates, you can assign people tasks, you can even bring contractors into it, and you have a checklist for them. And so you can see them knocking it off. And it's fancier than something like Google Sheets. And the very cool part of it is you can automate a lot of things. So like, if a due date's coming up, bam, it shoots an email to someone, hey, your due date for this item. So that can be very helpful. And there's other tools that do that, Trello, Asana, and all those. But a very project management focused tool. So we use it in some other aspects, but it really shines. And I have to get from A to Z in a project. These are the players. These are the tasks. These are the due dates, that kind of thing. Well, it sounds like you've started even at the due diligence stage. So it's not the whole entire project might be like deal management instead of essentially <laughs> just the project with the construction. So that's pretty cool. Exactly. Yeah. And so what you're saying is like the best way is like, as you're doing it to write down what you're doing, right? I think so. I think you can find some checklists out there already, but you're not going to find ones that are everything relative to your market, your type of deal, and also your preferences. You have a certain way that you like doing a deal or a project and initial checklists might not cover that. We use an automation software called Lead Simple and it's a Mm. workflow process management system. has automated emails, templates, all sorts of stuff, but we've been able to get our whole property management company on that, which is pretty slick. Nice. Yeah, it helps when other people use the same system. Yeah, for sure. Well, cool. We've got most of our team members building out their section of it as well. And they have the ability to, I guess, improve the process iteratively. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, it's a nice piece of software, but it's only as good as much as we use it and as much as we're constantly trying to improve it. That's a constant struggle systems improvement and maintenance. It's a part of traction, right? They talk about working in the business, working on the business. And I saw this big in corporate IT. You know, I was making six figures and they were just spending money here and there and everywhere. But a lot of times they never actually worked like on the business. They're always working in the business and putting out fires by buying another tool. But they never actually take like 25% of their time, maybe one day a week. Okay, what processes do we need to make? Let's knock out a process for Friday. Because that's as simple as it can be. And Traction talks about it a lot too. We're having this issue come up over and over and over. Okay, as a team, let's sit down for an hour. We're just going to bang out a process. And it doesn't matter if you're in sales. It doesn't matter if you're in capital raising. I'm sure everybody has an idea 
what would help this work better? And you can start at the big processes first and then whittle down to the little processes or have your department managers, you know, handle their own little process checklists or whatever they got to be. But the idea of crazy is to keep repeating the same issues over and over simply because you refuse to work on the business. And the largest companies do this. It's just amazing how much they just do it over and over and over. Yeah, cool. So I'd like to hear about how you guys manage property managers and just being out of state investors. What is that process like for you guys? Well, I don't do it anymore. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> but, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's my brother's, my brother's wife, Vivian. She does a lot of the contractor and property management at this point, which is great. It used to be typically what happens when we start a deal, we'll set up a weekly call. Sometimes if the renovations are pretty big or the deal is kind of underwater or something, we'll do daily calls. But you're setting up a call timeline and everybody's on board before you ever start the work. And they're going to be on that call with you at least for an hour check-in and go through, well, here's what we have for this week. Here are the issues we're seeing. Here's where we can help each other. And it can be as simple as that. In IT, you call them sprints, a 10-minute sprint where you just get up issues, you know, just like, like traction, right? You just apply it to the same type of call with property manager. And so she'll jump on a call daily right now on two projects. She's doing like daily calls with contractors right now. But for property management, it might be a weekly call. And then as things get hammered out, it goes to a quarterly call or gets to no more than a quarterly call usually. You know, it also depends on what type of communication we're seeing from them. So there's some asset management teams like the 384 unit. We worked with Lloyd Jones and they have over a billion in assets and they're well oiled machine. You get a 30 page printout of how the property's doing every month. Here are the turns, here are the leases, here are the updates, you know, the delinquencies, and you don't have to ask for that. So the bigger property is actually easier because you work with bigger, more experienced people. It's very nice to get that. So do I need to be on a call every quarter with Lloyd Jones? No, not really. <laughs> that would probably hold things up, but we check in every now and then, right? But a smaller group, yeah, we're checking in every week as we see that like we worked with a great guy on our 16 unit, our 13 unit, Spoa Jackson Brown out of Fayetteville, North Carolina, outstanding company. But you can tell they come in prepared. They know what they have to talk about. They're not sugarcoating anything. And you're talking weekly with them. As things get better, you break it in a month down to a quarter. And then just that's what we like. And I don't think it's micromanaging because I've seen it both sides. I've seen it where we have micromanaged because we didn't get what we needed. And then I've seen it where you don't manage at all and everything starts burning. You're like, why is that happening? Well, it's because you didn't have a plan. So, yeah. And when you're first using someone too, like understanding kind of their level of capability, you can only do so much due diligence before you actually like get into the work with a partner. That's what always not irks me, but like I'm always like hesitant to jump into a partnership because I'm like, I'm not exactly sure what this is going to be like in the future. And sometimes you just have to get in the weeds and kind of get it figured out, right? But having yeah. that additional contact more frequently up front will set the stage for kind of like your expectations and also probably their expectations too, right? Yeah, 100%. I think it applies to any partnership too, not just the property management. We do the same with like, if we're raising capital for a sponsor, we're a co-GP, they call it, in another deal. We've been in some deals where it takes forever to get feedback on 
what's going on with the lending or where are we at? How much capital is left to raise or whatever, you know, like sometimes that may take a week to get a response. And already we're having a bad feeling from the start versus texting the GP and the answer right away. That's a different feeling or emailing a person and the answer in 24 hours answer the next day. That's a different feeling. And you can kind of get that early on. And I guess tip your toe in the tip your toe in the sand or the sand, the water by having those pretend you're building a friendship before ever business is on the line and see how it goes. So if they take two weeks to talk back to you, maybe you're not that important to them. And probably if you do business with them, it's going to be the same thing. I like to build that relationship before the business and the numbers and everybody gets angry because about money. I like that's a great tip. Uh, for sure. Well, cool. Well, I think we're getting on towards the end here. Chris, you ready for the uh, last four questions? Let's do it. Our famous four. All right. I'm going to start us off with the first one. And what's one piece of advice you would give to your 25 year old self? All right. So I would probably say just chill. I was always worried about getting to someplace (laughs) quickly. Uh, I think in your twenties, you're trying to prove yourself. I'd say just enjoy the journey. You're really right where you need to be enjoy it. So that's what I'd say. I love that answer. I mean, honestly, like that's not even for your 25 year old self. That's just (laughs) for present you and future you. And sometimes I really struggle with that. I'm like, Oh God, we need to get to 3000 units. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. Next question. What was your first entrepreneurial endeavor? So if I was trying to do the first time I actually did it on my own was of course building the business, but I grew up with the, my dad built businesses, probably 20 plus businesses growing up. And I clearly remember I was working for him in second grade and I would put the stamps on the sponge and we were doing huge mail campaigns back there. There was no email. It was the you know, 90s, right? And so big mail campaigns. I don't even know what we were doing, but I would put the stamps on the sponge and he would line up the envelopes and close all the envelopes and then put the stamp on the envelope. And so I have a distinct memory of doing that as a kid. (laughs) Is that what inspired you? Is it your dad that inspired you to start a family business? You know, funny enough, it inspired me not to (laughs) (laughs) because I saw how much he just struggled And we did everything from like food catering to, again, mail campaigns to marketing campaigns. And he finally launched an SEO company for 12 years. He ran a search engine optimization company. I worked a lot in that in high school and in college. And I just saw how much we had rough time. You know, we'd have a great week with sales and then the next week would be just really rough. I wanted a steady paycheck. (laughs) But then, you know, you do the steady paycheck and you get bored and you see how short lived it really actually is. So. Yeah. All right. Next question. How has your formal and informal training shaped your journey? Right. Yeah. So I was big on education. I did seven plus years in college. I'm not a doctor. It sounds kind of crazy. I did over four different colleges, three degrees. So that's that formal side of it. I really think that all those experiences, though, gave me structure and systems to depend on in times of chaos. And that's really what schooling and formal training is supposed to do. You probably won't remember half of it, but you're building these frameworks that you can depend on when you're trying to build something else or, or when things get a little crazy. And then my travels and my informal training and my, I learned to speak French and I mean, just no value can be placed on breaking through those fear and that shyness and that nervousness of talking in public. And, you know, all these things that get broken as you're going through this informal training of of just meeting people, traveling and talking to people that has all helped so 
dramatically for me now when I'm able to talk on podcasts or, you know, speak into, I go speak at meetups and I go speak at conferences. And so it's just helped so much. So that informal training is invaluable in my opinion. All right. And our final question, what was your biggest mistake and what did you learn? Is that a mistake towards business? Because I, I think it could say- be any mistake. <laughs> well, I got two, I think. We had a big business mistake. And I think all mistakes are really just lessons learned. You really don't know what not to do until you make a mistake. And everybody who wrote up the real estate market, you know, they're about to feel a lot of mistakes right about now as the water pulls out if they didn't do it right. But we let go of $820,000 single family home we had purchased in Sedona, Arizona. And the appraisal came up shy, $160,000. And I was like, oh, heck no, no, I can't do this. I'd have to bring $160,000 more. And this was 2020. Uh, I don't have to tell you guys what happened in 2021 with the market, but a property in Sedona right now that is a five bedroom, four bath where this place was with a pool, they're about like 1.5 million. So 820,000 was a steal and skipping on it just because I had to bring a little more equity because of one appraiser. I lost $7,000 in that deal. But more importantly, I learned that it's not necessarily, it's close the deal, get the deal done if it makes sense from the purchase price and cash flow. And those short-term rentals in Sedona, Arizona gross about $200,000 right now. So that was a big mistake. But another big mistake I'll say is taking relationships for granted from a personal level and emotional level. Both my, I kind of like, I had a thing with my wife. We had a little falling out for a while and we had to come back and find each other. And I think that was my biggest mistake in life in general was really taking that relationship for granted. And I kind of wanted to mention that because this is a business discussion. A lot of time we spend so much effort and plan and structure on business. And then we forget it a lot on our health and our relationship, especially with a significant other. We're kind of focusing all over on these other things that we'll plan for, have a 90 day goal, but yet we don't do the same with our significant other and with our health and our, with our, you know, whatever hobby that's important to us. So that's what I'd say is focus on the balance of the whole thing. Yes. But don't forget what's really important. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. Christopher, thanks for sharing that with us. I mean, usually we don't get that deep into the personal side. You can't focus on all business and expect that everything else is going to just be hunky-dory, easy, without the similar amount of effort. I definitely struggle with that all the time as well. That's very common. I think it's very common. We do a lot of effort on our career and building a business, and we put all these plans in place for it, and we're so diligent on it, but then we just don't do the same in other areas of our life. And health is a big one too, right? Like how many people start working out in January and quit in February because they just don't have a plan, don't have a 90-day goal? Yeah. Well, Christopher, thanks so much for being on the show. It is has been yeah, thank an absolute you for, pleasure. Thanks for coming out. If our audience wants to get a hold of you, do you want to give some contact information or the best place for them to find you? Sure. Yeah. You can visit valkergroup.com. We have everything on our website, so you can reach out, contact us there. It's V-A-L-K-E-R-E group.com and blogs, podcasts. I mean, everything we record, we put on there and a lot of free education, two eBooks. So come check us out. I mean, and then reach out if you have any questions or we can help in any way. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys. And I appreciate it. Yeah. We'll have to meet up when we come down to Phoenix for the waste management. Oh yeah, definitely. Let me know when you're here. We'll go have some fun. (laughs) Cool. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.